I spent an awful lot of time in a place that we called the 500 acres, or actually we called it the fives. I don't know if it was really 500 acres, uh, but that's what we were always told. And in in our neighborhood, it was the fives. Everybody went to the fives. Nowadays, it is a county park. It's called Manzanita uh, County Park, and they've got a sports complex there and a driveway and you got to pay entrance fees and all that sort of thing. When I was a kid, it was just this big undeveloped tract of land with a couple of fire roads through it and a bunch of trails that had been cut. And we were there all the time. We rode horseback there. We went hiking there. Uh, we went exploring there. We built forts there. Sometimes we cut our own trails there. Uh, we had countless battles, uh, all kinds of uh, politically incorrect battles between cowboys and Indians and uh, different uh, warring factions. And, uh, uh, and, w and we just played out there all the time. And this it was so big that it bordered a lot of things in our little town. So there was a place that, that we all knew to go where there was the, like the best climbing tree anywhere close to our neighborhood. It was just this enormous oak tree with these great big horizontal limbs. Everybody could climb it all at the same time. There was another spot where the fives bordered a strawberry field. And so certain times of the year, we would come in to where it bordered the strawberry field. And sometimes the migrant workers would let us follow after them and pick the strawberries. They were left behind and eat them right off of them. It was really good, probably probably lots of chemicals and pesticides, but it was delicious. There was, there was another spot where it bordered actually an old uh, wrecking yard, old automobile wrecking yard. We had all these cars from the 30s and 40s, and we would sneak in the back of there and wander through those cars and imagine when they were still on the road. It was kind of cool. There was a, there was a gorge. To us, it seemed huge. It was like the Grand Canyon. It was probably six feet deep. It was this, this rain-formed gorge in the middle of it, and we would play in that gorge and had all kinds of fun. We would take dogs up there. We, we did everything there. I remember my dad taking me shooting there. Uh, it, it, it was a huge part of my childhood. And I think back on that, and I think about the really kind of unprecedented freedom that I had. My, my kids grew up in the country but we kept a fairly tight rein on them because, I don't know, things didn't feel as safe. But I wandered all over those woods. I wandered those trails all the time as a kid, and I spent endless hours there, me and my friends, and we could do it because I and my parents were both confident in the knowledge that I always knew my way back home. As big as that place was, and as expansive as it was, there was no place in the fives where I didn't know my way back home. I've been a little nostalgic, honestly, this week, looking forward to Mother's Day. Both of my parents are gone now, and I'm thinking back on them, thinking about my mother and my father. Uh, we, uh, we were not a perfect family. I know that comes as a shock to you. It certainly came as a shock to me. Um, I thought we were pretty perfect for a while. But we were not a perfect family. We had our problems. Um, my parents uh, themselves didn't have perfect parents. I, as it's genetic, I guess. 
I still thought they were pretty great, though. There were things that they couldn't protect us from that I think they wanted to. There were things that they probably should have taught us, and, and they didn't. The things that maybe shouldn't have been done or said that were. But in spite of all of that, and, and, and reflecting on the fact that when my kids are my age, they'll probably be reflecting on me the same way. In spite of all of that, I thought they were pretty great. And I think they were pretty great because they knew their purpose. They knew the purpose behind all of this. And I wonder sometimes today how many parents really understand their purpose or understand how important they really are. We need parents to have their purpose, perhaps more than, than we ever have in our lifetime. Last week we were reading about Jesus t uh, talking about Jerusalem in Matthew 23. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing I dare say every parent in the room has felt that at some point, has, has known that experience of wanting to gather up our kids, wanting to keep them safe, and having, having the inability to do it or their rejection or their anger. They don't understand all those problems that we experience and that we endure as parents. But as our culture, as the culture around us drifts, further from God, and not only from God in the religious sense, but drifts further from God in terms of how we define reality as we shift away, drift away from God and from basic truth, it becomes harder and harder to help our children find the way home. And so I wonder, what wisdom do we draw from Jesus' words? What wisdom do we draw from this imagery of, of, of Christ himself wanting to gather his children like a hen gathers her chicks? What is God's purpose for families? I think probably most of us, when we reflect back on our childhood, remember it in more idyllic terms than maybe it really was. We remember it as a simpler time, and in some ways it was a simpler time, but probably not as simple as we imagined it to be. But there were some things going for it. Back when I was a kid, educational institutions were primarily interested in education. Entertainment companies were primarily interested in entertaining people. And the culture around us, the culture around us, even though the world was diverse, even though the world was sinful then as it is sinful now, we could assume, at least in our little circles, that the folks that we knew shared, at, to some extent, the same Judeo-Christian values that we had. And so that even if the culture wasn't necessarily helping you raise moral, responsible children, it wasn't fighting you in your effort to raise moral, 
and responsible children. And so what wisdom do we draw from a God who longs to gather his children under his wings? One of the purposes of family is to show us we are loved. And honestly, that's probably what we celebrate here most today, right? We were loved. As we look back, we know that we were loved by our families. Very often when we did not necessarily deserve to be loved by our families. And that's worth celebrating. How beautiful is that? We relish that. We recognize that a child who doesn't know or isn't confident of their parents' love, that that's a tragedy, that that is one of the most difficult things to overcome. Love is the first value of family, the most important value of family. As First Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. So it might surprise you to hear from me this morning that love is not enough, at least not in the way that we talk about it. Because we kind of talk about love just as an emotion, a, 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 a positive regard that we have for each other. And, and here's the truth. Here's the difficult truth. When love is no more than affection or positive regard, we are often waving goodbye to people that we love as their mind and hearts are overtaken by worldly ideas. Bye. Love you. Have fun, have fun storming the castle, right? It's not enough. We have to do more. Love has to be active. It has to do something. It cannot let the world win. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, God says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you, when you lie down and when you get up. See, beyond showing us that we're loved, families have a purpose to tell us what is true. And the truth in our world right now is taking a beating. It is harder and harder to find. We've sort of reached a point where you can find more lies and more false narrative and more propaganda than you can find truth. And so you kind of have to go mining for the truth. You have to really search it out. We have this relativistic culture in which everything is true and therefore nothing is true. What do we do with that? Essentially, the world around us has elevated nonsense treated it as virtuous. I uh, spent quite a few years as a contractor. One of the things that I learned as a contractor is that if you have something in your hand, be a tool bag, could be a clip clipboard, could be uh, a roll of paper, if you have something in your hand and you're wearing a hard hat, you can go almost anywhere. No job site is close to you. No yard. I, I've been on government job sites without permission. Just a hard hat, something to carry around so that you're not fidgeting with your hands. 
Because all you really need is that hard hat and a look of confidence. And people look at you and they go, you look like you're supposed to be here. This is not an endorsement. I'm not recommending that any of you try this. A confident lie is very difficult to distinguish from the truth. And here's the thing. Our culture right now could aptly be described as a confident lie. We're constantly being told things that aren't true. We're being told them with great confidence and passion and commitment. That doesn't make them any more true. And so often it comes to falls on us as parents to seek out what is true and to be willing to share that with our children. Wise parents will do that. They will help our children make sense of the world. But it's more than just that because part of the purpose of family is not just to tell us what is true, but to teach us what is honorable. See, seeing the truth through the darkness of deceit, that's like a spiritual superpower. But even more important than simply what is true is what is good. The world has a bad habit of teaching that good is bad and bad is good. There was a time in the 80s when the, the, the slang of the youth culture was actually just that. Bad meant good. I never really got very good at it. Say, that car is bad. Is it broken? No, it's bad. It, 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 it doesn't drive? No, it's really bad. It means it's really cool. It's just bad. I gather some of my generation took it literally. Because as a culture, we now celebrate and idolize immoral and stupid people. Now, I, I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I have often been stupid myself. But I don't expect to be appreciated for being stupid. I don't expect to be rewarded for being stupid. But there are a lot of famous people right now in our culture who are famous for being immoral and stupid. That's got to be confusing, right? If you're a young person, you look at these celebrities on the social media and the television and you say, "What? Well, look, by being disrespectful, by being ugly, by being foul-mouthed, by being immoral, I've elevated to this position of wealth and status. Can I just tell you that for every famous, immoral, and stupid person, there are hundreds of thousands of immoral and stupid people who have not achieved anything? That's the truth. Amen. That's the truth. What is also true is that sometimes in the world, things that are unworthy will still be celebrated. But what is worthy is always worthy, whether it's celebrated or not. Again, from Philippians 4, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We are to focus attention 
not only in word and thought, but also in action, because part of the purpose of family is to model what matters. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our culture right now sort of depicts children as inherently wise, like they pop out of the womb with all of this knowledge that we're supposed to be in admiration of. We're supposed to think, you know, what, whatever they think, however they see the world, they're just inherently, have this inherent wisdom and we should, we should respect it. And it's all sort of couched in the language of, uh, of, of helping our kids become themselves, be their true selves. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I spent a fair bit of my childhood thinking that I knew everything, and I didn't know anything. Um, so children today also don't know anything. That's 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 the that's the truth. And the truth is, even though we're sort of told that 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 when we offer our kids direction, when we try to shape them, when we try to uh, create boundaries and, and, and direction for them that we're interfering somehow with this inherent wisdom that they have, that that's, that's somehow wrong. The truth is that when we have children who are not given direction and not given boundaries, they are confused, depressed, and angry. That's the truth. And we've known this for a long time. It's not direction that kids resent. It's injustice and hypocrisy. I don't know why, but kids have this radar for injustice. It's all about what's fair. That's not fair. It's on their radar. It matters to them. And here's the thing. When our kids experience the adults in their life, as having a walk that doesn't match their talk, they perceive that as injustice and hypocrisy. And that's what they resent. Proverbs 22.6, very famous verse, says, train up a child in the way they should go. he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. We have, over the years, we have debated the meaning of that. We have wondered if there's a sort of a promise. We'd like a guarantee, right, from Scripture. We'd like to say, if I do these things, I'll get this outcome, and it always works that way. And and that's not really what the scripture says. But we, hey, buddy. <laughs> you got him? All right. <laughs> that's not really what the scripture says. But what does it say? I really think that imagery of training up I is a picture of something so interactive, so personal that it's really about um, what happens when we engage things together. What happens for our children when we engage things together? I think it means that what we genuinely respect, our children will tend to genuinely respect. What we consume, our children will consume. What we make commitments to, our children will make commitments to. What we love, our children are likely to love. Because what we live is what really defines our priorities in our kids' eyes, regardless of what we say. And that's really important because one of the purposes 
of family is to reveal who we are. Now, I could not have predicted in my wildest dreams the deep confusion that our culture has right now over this topic of identity. Some of you will remember that back in the 70s and 80s, people talked about going to find themselves. I always thought that was a weird enough notion, like myself is out there somewhere and I'll bump into it if I look hard enough. But where we are right now, I have to think is worse. Because basically what we're telling our young people in the culture today is whatever you feel is what you are. And I don't know of any message that could be more cruel. As a young boy, what I really wanted, how I really saw myself, I just wanted to be a fireman. Well, that's not completely true. I wanted to be a fireman, farmer, circus performer, soldier, dairyman, carpenter, rock star, stuntman, missionary. So clearly, I was in the right state of mind to make determinations about my lifelong identity. That was as a child, as a teenager, in all honesty, I was a young man who sometimes struggled with extreme depression. And I would feel that my life was meaningless and the world was hopeless. I cannot think of a more cruel message to, to share with a young person than what they're feeling in this moment is the reality that they must live with. And yet that's what we've done. As we have ventured away from God, as we have ventured away from reality, we have chosen to found identities for each other based in delusion, based in misunderstanding, based in emotion. Families are meant to help us discover who we are, and not just who we are in the sense of who I think I am, but who I am as a creation, who I am in Christ, that I am not only created by God, but I am loved by God. Because part of the purpose of family is to remind us whose we are. What is it that we are supposed to teach according to Deuteronomy 6? What is it that we're supposed to teach day and night in our coming and in our going? We're supposed to teach that the Lord our God is one God and that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Hmm. Well, in the, in the Hebrew mind, the heart is both my emotions and also my thoughts, my intellect. The soul is my very life. The breath of God breathed into this flesh that makes it a living thing. And strength, that's my work, my labor, all my effort. So basically, here's what it is that we're supposed to be communicating as parents to our children. Love the Lord your God with everything you think, everything that you feel, with your full life, and with all of your effort. 
Whatever's left over is for you. Whatever's left over, you can do whatever you want. Everything belongs to God. One of the hardest things, honestly, about being a parent is recognizing that my children are on loan to me from a God who owns them. And that it's just my responsibility to be a good steward of them while they're in my care. That they belong to God in the same way that we belong to God. That they answer to God in the same way that we answer to God. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what should a man give in return for his soul? See, because ultimately, ultimately the purpose of family is to point us home. As a boy, I would play for hours in the fives. I would be in those woods, I would be on those trails, I would be in those forts that we built in the bushes, and I was always confident of the knowledge of home. I knew where home was, I knew home was waiting, I knew I was loved there. My point is this, there is a whole lot of beauty, a whole lot of wonder, a whole lot of adventure in life. This world that's been created for us is glorious. It's fun to explore. But if that's it, if that's all we live for, it all comes to naught. Because if we're not anchored in God, if we don't know our way home, it amounts to nothing. The great calling, the great privilege of parenthood is to teach our children that Jesus is their home.